0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 44 of The Ascent of Board Games, the podcast where we talk about board games and their history and evolution and stuff that they have done that is more interesting than they used to be. Legibly and clearly, in all cases. Sure, yes. (laughs) We never mumble or make mistakes. We're here today to talk about Boss Battlers, which is a subset of game that has really only gotten named recently, I think, but has been around for a fair while, as we see. And this is basically a game usually but not always cooperative, where you've got a bunch of people who are fighting one big thing, and usually you're fighting it in a way that is either the only thing in the game or it's different than the rest of the game, because there are a ton of dungeon crawls out there where you fight through a dungeon, you get through the orcs or androids or whatever the little minions are, and then you get to the boss at the end, but the boss at the end is more or less just the same thing, only with bigger numbers. What we're talking about today are games where the boss fights are either the main thing you're doing or are categorically different from the rest of the game.
1: Or just freaking
2: cool.
0: Well, sure, yes. We have been known to bend our own rules in order to talk about something that we think is interesting.
2: There's always room for cool.
0: Exactly. The rule of cool prevails. And as it turns out, the term has only kind of been used relatively recently, but the concept actually goes back to the early days of what we would consider modern board gaming. And the Halcyon Year of 1977, which, in addition to the original Star Wars, produced another sort of landmark product.
3: Yeah, so first we're going to talk about Ogre, released in 1977, designed by Steve Jackson and published by, unsurprisingly, Steve Jackson Games.
2: I'm sorry, wait a minute. Is Frank not introducing our oldest game? What, no. What? I, I think <laughs> I'm backwards, upside down, living this? together. I've got so many things in here.
3: So I'm certainly more familiar with this, with the the re-release of Ogre, um, the giant box re-release of Ogre, which was purchased by a friend of mine, and then uh, she realized that it was too large for her house, and so sent it bye-bye.
4: That's quite a statement. Yeah. Too large
0: yeah. for your house. I think that box, that's larger than the Gloomhaven box, isn't it? That's a midlife crisis
1: <laughs> box. Yeah, It sure
4: is. <laughs> at,
2: at some point, we're just going to have to start taking volumetric measurements of all these boxes, because... Like, I'm just looking around the room that we're in, and I'm counting probably at least a dozen large box games Mike, that I'm are all competing Sentinels. to be the biggest.
4: <laughs> think, my Sentinels. Oh, it's your Sentinels. Okay. Sentinels. Sentinels, I think, takes the cake currently. In terms of, of total volume? And weight. Like, it's man. all just packed full of cards. <laughs> it's it probably it weighs 20 dense. pounds by this point. Could crush a man with that thing. <laughs>
3: So one might ask, why is Ogre a boss battler? So Ogre is a miniature war game where one side is playing functionally a normal miniature war game. You have a bunch of units of tanks and units on the ground and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And the other side is a single giant ogre, hence the name. And when we
0: say ogre, it's like a tank. tank. Giant
3: tank. So one half of the game is moving all the figures around and trying to take down this single massive tank. The single massive tank is trying to wipe out all these little figures. The tank has a bunch of tracks for like treads and their batteries and their missiles and all that kind of stuff. They're heavily armed. It's a relatively well-balanced game, you know, for games that were released in the 70s. But, (laughs) you know... (laughs) <laughs> I just did that to make Frank Oh, <laughs> that I face I made it worked perfectly So yeah. it, it worked perfectly No, no, Ogre's a, a very well-designed <laughs> game And it is fascinating
1: You're taking out parts of the tank And you've got, you know, a whole bunch of little check marks Or zeros on a paper sheet Or whatever It is odd that this was originally in a tiny little Ziploc bag with counters You actually completely had to cut out And then there's that thing
0: Yes <laughs> We'll try and get the box into a picture. I'm not sure it can fit on one. <laughs> Telephoto lenses.
3: They're like the whole section of pictures in Board Game Geek entirely devoted to putting the Ogre box next, next to other large ogre. boxes. Oh, okay. It's like here is Ogre next to all of Twilight Imperium. Here <laughs> is Ogre next to Rune Wars. Here is Ogre next to whatever, right? There's a whole section of Board Game Geek devoted to that thing, Brian. Okay. They got you.
2: <laughs> Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is one of Steve Jackson's early. Early games totally because like after ogre steve jackson games kind of just devolved into munchkin <laughs> the company
0: yeah there, there was a long stretch before they I, fell down and well aware thing.
2: back when they actually had non-munchkin related games
0: right i mean there were the gurps years yeah which was one of the early generic role-playing systems kung fu 2100 The original Car Wars was in one of those little boxes.
1: So Metagaming was a company from
0: Austin, Texas,
1: and they did just small little envelope folio games. They did Melee, Wizard, Ogre GEV, and Steve Jackson did a lot of those games. So this is way before there was a Steve Jackson games. Although, you know, obviously there's some relationship because he did a lot of their games. Yeah,
4: Invasion of the Air Eaters. I love that game. Then he could realize he could just reskin the same game 40,000 times and make a lot of money. I mean, power of- that's the original ogre. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh,
2: and I say that knowing full well that, like, my introduction to board games was with Munchkin and oh Frag. And, and,
0: and you still play board games today. <laughs> hey,
2: no, that was, we didn't know any better. And you know what? I would never want to take that experience away from anybody because it's a game that exists.
4: There, I think there is a point in every every board gamer's life where they have to realize, oh, Munchkin's just not much fun. <laughs> yeah. And
2: that's how we grow and evolve. But, I mean, getting it back to Ogre, I think that it is really interesting that you've got this giant, complex war game and then Munchkin from the same.
1: It's not a giant complex. So war games from metagaming were, you know, maybe eight pages of rules on this little tiny book. Sure. They okay. weren't
2: complex. When compared to actual war games maybe ogre is not that good.
1: you know this is an advanced squad leader which I... and you don't
4: have to worry about yeah, having I mean, extra water is, for positive you move
3: chits around you yeah, it is, fire it is the a giant tank, tank the giant game. tank fires back i mean it's a pretty straightforward board game for sure yeah
2: and the concept that the parts of the tank can be damaged reminds me a lot of a ps1 era game called front Front mission. Front mission. Yeah. Where, yeah. like, you have robots that have, like, when you shoot at them, maybe their left arm mm-hmm. takes damage. And when those mm-hmm. parts break, they just no longer function, which is kind of a cool concept and something we'll see a little bit later in some of our boss battlers, too.
4: If someone just reskinned Ogre into a mech battling game, I would back in a heartbeat. Like, oh, <laughs> it would yeah, I know. so little for me to be like, all in, gimme.
2: If anybody out there in, in podcast land would just like to have some of Jason's money, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. how to do it.
0: Yeah, make sure you have minis. I'm just going to put together battle tech stats for that thing. And, uh, and Done. Let's play. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Frankly, you just, it's just an art swap at
3: this point. I know. Change right, right. like, yeah. it uh, from treads to hull points or something. You're good mm-hmm. to
2: go. You really want Jason's money? Go and get a Gundam. Trademark on Why it. Why isn't there a
4: Gundam board game? Can you explain this to me? Like it's been around for forty plus years and there's still no there are Gundam board games in the U.S. Japanese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I remember five or six Gen Cons ago, CMON had a Japanese Gundam game that they claimed they were bringing in. I saw the thing there and it looked shitty, but I'm like, it's a Gundam game, goddamn it! I'm, I'm going to buy, buy it, it. <laughs> and it never came out. Oh, uh,
1: well. So back to seventies and war
0: games. That was that was Ogre from Steve Jackson Games. We've had a request, and I think it's a good one, that we mention the games again at the end of our discussion so people know what the heck it is that we were talking about if they weren't listening at the beginning. So, that was Ogre.
1: This is something else. The creature that ate Sheboygan. 1979, Greg Kostikian, the amazing Greg Kostikian. Mm -hmm. Simulations Publications Incorporated originally came in a goddamn Ziploc bag. and (laughs) we liked it that way. Uh, but they did a box edition, and this uh, basically take a Midwestern city, give both players some points to buy up their tanks, cops, National Guard, civilians, and uh, our airplanes and helicopters. And the other person gets a bunch of points to buy their kaiju. And basically you buy attack points, defense points, building destruction points, because that's how, why the game is much more fun than Ogre. Mm-hmm. And then special powers, which are just bonkers and glorious nuclear
0: breath fun yeah yeah. totally
1: but yeah i mean it's pretty much your it's actually a little bit deeper of a game because instead of just destroy the thing or destroy the other thing there's a lot of building destruction eat civilians you know protect civilians so the objectives are a little more complex
0: and since the monsters aren't kind of pre-built, there's a lot of interesting combo building and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, totally. Especially you're required to spend like a quarter of your points on special powers. <laughs> so there's no just piling things Backing on. Steps, yeah. Yeah, totally. And there's a good chunk of special powers.
0: I feel like this is another one that Stronghold or Restoration can take and yeah. make something awesome out of.
1: Yeah, that one actually could. Although I've seen another couple of one-person versus kaiju mm-hmm. games. This is actually one of, probably still the best.
0: Yeah. It does have a certain early days feel about it because you are still writing down all your stuff on scrap paper. The modern version would certainly have cards for the different special powers. and it would There's be a lot definitely
1: like- a CRT where you roll a D6 and see instead of like custom dice or exactly. anything nice. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So for those who weren't around in the old days, that's the combat results table, <laughs> which was in... Pretty much any game involving combat from that period. Yeah, check the
1: attack versus defense ratio and then roll a d6 on the big old table, and Jason's laughing. No,
4: no, I remember tables <laughs> upon tables upon tables games. Those are good the best. times. <laughs> yeah, good totally. times. Definitely not Godzilla, though.
1: Definitely, <laughs> it's legally, legally distinct.
4: definitely
3: uh, not Godzilla.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Even though on the covers, the big old not Godzilla, not yes. Godzilla. <laughs> and that was the creature that ate Sheboygan. Next up is a game that no one's heard of, no one will be able to buy, no one will ever find. That's why
2: we have you here, Frank. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) This is Giant 1993, designed by Mark Haney from JMG Inc., published by one of the amazing game companies in Idaho. The game company in Idaho. (laughs) And this is that kind of pit the boss battler that you were all waiting for.
0: What was the name of
1: the game company? JMG. Inc. Oh, JMG. Okay, Got it. Yeah, you've never heard of them. No, I. Haven't. They have a bunch of games. I think they might be under Joe what? Magic Games now. But yeah, I bought it. I bought my one copy at a store that had a whole bunch of their games in like Omaha, Nebraska, or something. I was gonna say it's, it's like, the like the designer lived there. The yeah. yeah, totally.
3: It's a Joe Magic Games Incorporated. Oh, it is Joe Magic now. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's what. I mean that's oh I'm sorry, that's uh that's the re-implementation. I apologize. Oh, okay. That's oh, the re-implementation. <gasps> oh my
1: god, they re-released it. Yeah, they uh, re-released oh. it in
3: 2015.
1: Wow.
2: okay. Did, did wow. Joe just well, score a point for I think, selling? Yeah, I think
4: he did. Board
2: game. <laughs> wow. All right. For those of you playing along at home, put, <laughs> put a tally mark next to Joe's name. <laughs>
1: so you start at level six and you're all fighting a big old giant. And you have a bunch of cards showing different types of weapons. Axe, flails, morning stars, this, swords, whatever. And basically, you start with a hand of six, because you're sixth level. The object's to be tenth level. And um, you've got a giant with, you know, like, there's three cards on his legs, six cards on his head. And it's a big template board thing. And basically, you start the pit trading, going two, 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 as you swap groups of of weapon. weapon. (laughs) When you get sets of weapon, you slap them down on a leg or something, allowing people to go up to a higher level and eventually go for the head. Are these what the cards look like? Yeah. They're hand-cut cardstock. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. They're so, mis That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> the crossbows are
0: miscentered
3: on okay. the card. It's
1: registration, you're cutting them by hand. Know, from Eight and a so half by good. 11 sheet of cardstock. Be real.
0: This is before they had even the old West End game die-cut perforated cards die-cut? that you would punch No, seriously,
1: this guy was doing <laughs> oh, his yeah. own...
2: The box has a wrap that obviously. I'm sorry. Is we, we shouldn't on.
0: mock you. We're doing the best you could with what
2: you had at the time. 1993. Right. They, they gave really you a wasn't... sheet of 9x11 paper and a pair of scissors, and that was Off part wheel. of the game.
4: Like, wasn't Hero Quest out by 1993? Oh, whatever.
1: But they were. They spent money <laughs> reducing budget. Game. Yeah. This <laughs> is Idaho. This is.
0: <laughs> they barely have. Paper there were companies in there. <laughs> who
1: were doing hand cut games and selling them in like Discover Toys. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm hmm. But kind of weird because it is a boss battler and it's pit descended. And and then you've got special cards that will like, you know, cause a person to lose a card. Or there's one card that you can't play while well, you've got it. Very like the bull card or the bear. Oh, right. Or, yeah. So it's pit. competitive. Yeah. Oh, You're totally. You're trying to it's be the one
0: to kill the giant or the one to get to level 10? Uh, the person 10? who actually takes down the head uh-huh. gets
2: a level. Oh, okay. So you want to take down the head each time. Okay. But
1: you get points for every body part you mm-hmm. lop off.
2: But you said that the objective of the game was to get to level 10. So the objective isn't even kill the, the giants, but that's how heads. you get to. Well, you,
4: you kill them by taking off the head.
2: Gotcha. And then another one shows up and you do it. Oh,
4: yeah, okay. Totally. So this game is called Giant Genocide is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Absolutely. Giant side. Giant, giant side. side. Please tell me the re-implementation has the same art, Joe. <laughs> no, it, oh. has, it
3: has more modern art.
4: Boo. Oh, oh, well. Really loose should be a
2: retro deck, (laughs) and
3: so that was Giant. Yes, by Mark Haney. Next, we're going to talk about a game that I like, and none of my friends like.
2: That is not true. I've tried to play this game several times. I've never played it because nobody will play it with
3: (laughs) me. The game that I like, most of my friends dislike, and some of my friends want to try to play, but not enough of them to actually play it. There you go. Which is Cutthroat's Cavern, released in two thousand seven by Kurt Covert. Uh, Published by Smirk and Dagger Games.
4: What a great last name. I'm so jealous.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And in Cutthroat Caverns, you are a fantasy archetype, a wizard, a knight, or whatever. And you and your fellow group of adventurers are all going into a cavern and you're fighting monsters. But you want to fight monsters the best. So there is a prestige track. You get prestige for laying the final blow on the monster.
4: Oh, kill stealing. Got it. (laughs) Kill stealing the game (laughs) for sure. That's pretty much it.
3: And so everybody has a deck of cards and the deck of cards will contain things like, you know, hey, do five damage, do 20 damage, do whatever damage. Also, steal a card from your opponent and make that card your card this turn or make your initiative be the first initiative instead of the last initiative because it's all about whoever lands the final blow. And so there's this very enjoyable tension to me Mm. between making it actually out of the cavern, (laughs) alive, because the bosses you're fighting aren't easy to defeat, right? They're all very difficult to defeat. You're all gonna have to work together to do it. But you still want to get that final blow, get all the treasure and get all the prestige. A lot of the bosses are pretty cool. They have a bunch of interesting designs with them, right? There's a lot of Design space that they make use of that I think makes the game really
0: enjoyable. If we're talking about boss battlers, like are there any particular cool ones that you can think of? All the time. Oh man, it's been a long time since I've played it because all my friends hate the game. (laughs) And I should make clear, I don't hate the game. It's just, I think part of the thing is the first time I played it, I was not expecting as much hatred Mm. among the players.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, the hatred is on the level of Munchkin, right? Like, it is that level of hatred.
2: It's a vindictive, violent, take that game. Honestly, I should have picked that up from the title. It's funny because Cutthroat Caverns does this really interesting balancing act between a, I'm winning better than you, which is almost never fun like i think the we're trying to do a thing but i'm gonna do it better than you by actively sabotaging you never really feels all that great unless i mean there are people out there who enjoy that kind of thing and for us i don't want to take of- it away from them but for our group the reason we never play that is because much like in diplomacy it is almost nothing but backstabbing. And I think the way that Cutthroat Cavern gets away with it is that if you do not cooperate enough to achieve the goal, nobody wins. So it's like you are doing that kind of back and Mm -hmm. forth between I'm helping, but I'm also setting up myself for victory.
3: Yeah, it has the same problems that games like Junta or games like, um, what was that recent game where... The game where you, it has multiple victory conditions, some that are hidden, some that are public, and you can choose to like help the islanders. The one in the Caribbean. Oh, Archipelago. 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 So like, much like Archipelago as well, it's like, you could as a player decide, I am not going to win, F all of you. Right. And then the game becomes a lot harder, if not impossible, for Mm the players to win. Right. It has that problem, right? Like you someone can someone who decides they don't like the game can totally torpedo the game one hundred percent.
4: Remember the game we played, Mike? Welcome to the dungeon. Hmm? This kind of reminds me of that. So welcome to the dungeon. We have to defeat a dungeon a certain number of times, earn enough points or maybe you're even leveling up if I remember correctly. like you
2: have to go through twice. Yes. you have to run through a dungeon, which consists of a stack of monsters. But before you do that, you've got a selection of equipment that you can boast about doing without... Yes. And I so, don't need
0: this dragon slaying sword to go through this dungeon. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're basically adding monsters to the deck or taking equipment away. And eventually everybody is like, I'm not going to the dungeon like that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the one person who is left has to yeah. go through and face <laughs> the dungeon like, with whatever's left. <laughs> yeah.
4: You are naked, save for your big stick. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Oh, the best is when you get to like the last card. like, I might actually pull this off, flip. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Nope, nope. Definitely not happening. That's a fun game. It's a
1: game that was better under
0: original time. I know. No, Dungeon of Mandom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Worth it just for the Jason. Because that's why you're going
4: through the dungeon is to be a man. I mm, can't can't say this on podcast. Never mind. It's a different game in my head. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I mean, isn't Mike playing that like,
3: dating swords game already? <laughs> I mean, no, no,
4: that's a uh, boyfriend dungeon. Oh. The <laughs>
2: dating sim where you empower your weapons by dating them.
4: Oh, I thought you were talking about the dragon dating so, simulator you were playing. So getting back to Through Cavern, I mean, like, the ultimately, kind
3: of the question of how are the boss battles different, I think the interesting thing is, like, each of the boss battles that will have a different mechanic, right? There's, like, one where there's a vampire, and people can get turned into vampires, and they might stay a vampire the rest of the dungeon and <laughs> have, like, different goals now, or... Some of them are like, oh, no, you need to solve a puzzle as a group. And some of them are like, oh, hey, this monster has this interesting effect, right? Some of them are simple. Some of them are straightforward, like just stab the Minotaur or whatever, right. right? And some of them have complicated mechanics. And so I think there's a lot of nice variation
0: there. And just because I don't remember, when we're calling these bosses, is this like every fight in the dungeon is. Yes. So there's not like there's a separate boss thing at the end.
3: No, no. It's just you go through a series of X bosses based on your difficulty, and then that's it. You're done.
0: Okay. I'm mentally wondering whether that qualifies as a boss battler, but we've already spent a lot of time talking about it, so I'm allowed to
2: go. Yeah, that was done. It's great, though, because then when you finish playing Cutthroat Caverns, you play a, a round of Red Dragon Inn where you're <laughs> all the adventurers <laughs> in the tavern getting drunk after your excellent adventure. Exactly.
3: And so that was Cutthroat Caverns by Smirk and Dagger Games. Indeed.
0: So now, Mike, I want you to tell us about a game that you love that is not Arkham Horror. Hmm. <gasps>
2: So Arkham (laughs) Horror. So this game, Sentinels of the Multiverse, which was produced in 2011 by Christopher Bedell, Paul Bender, and Adam Robotaro. sorry if I butchered any of those, was one of the early Kickstarter games. And they actually came out with a first printing on Kickstarter that they then later went back and changed to make the much more successful version that I own a giant box of that is slowly going to crush my shelves and eventually kill me someday.
3: Especially if they keep releasing new versions of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: And then they just this year did a second edition, which I've actually yet to play, but I'm excited to get it to the table, I think. I am excited to finally have a version of the game that I can take off the shelf because that 20-pound box is not... uh, (laughs) mobile but this is a game about superheroes fighting a supervillain every game you pick one of the plethora of villains two or three per expansion they all have varying difficulties and every single one of them plays differently because they've got a deck of cards that trigger different abilities but the mechanics of the game is just do your start of turn activations do a power play a card draw a card then do your end of turn And the same thing with the villains. They do their start around, they play a card, they do their end of round. And you just go around the table, activating your powers to deal damage or to get rid of minions that the boss has summoned out.
0: And just to be clear, for those who haven't played this, the boss is not another player. The boss is just like an AI deck that That does things to mess you up. And there's also a deck for the place where you're fighting, which has some other neat abilities.
2: It's super great because- One of the things I really liked about this is you also pick an environment and the environment has an effect on the game. So like some of the environments will help and some of them will hurt. Some of them have like innocent people that you have to go and prevent from dying or bad things will happen. So there's a ton of replayability in this and all of the characters are surprisingly different as well. And at full release, after I think four expansions, there are thirty heroes to choose from and twenty villains, and
3: and tons of comic book variants. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, you get alternate <laughs> covers. Mm. It's great.
2: It's great. And they finally did their like ultimate. We're done expansion <laughs> where you fight the I'm done. Oblivion. Oblivion, who is a legally distinct from Galactus, Thanos, or oh, Galactus. Thanos. Okay, yeah. That one is crazy because it's the big, you were fighting other villains while he's there. And it's just like the, what if we just did all the things?
4: Yeah, it's great. That was cute. Cause like every time one of your heroes gets knocked out, you're like, well, I've got 29 other right. heroes to draw you, from. So let's bring in the next team.
2: He is so strong. He is going to kill your heroes. And so when one of them dies, you just pick, pick another one.
4: Sam is helping with the podcast.
2: Yeah, she has <laughs> decided that she needs some rubs. Hold on. A second. She's very excited about this game. I give
0: Mike a really hard time about this game, but it's really quite clever. They get a lot of mileage out of the very simple deck yeah. build, deck playing mechanics, it's not even deck building, it's just like you have your hero's deck, go. But there's a lot of interesting things they do with combos.
3: And let's be clear, all characters are legally distinct, <laughs> <Right>. potentially. <laughs> I mean, like, they originally went to the major publishers and said, hey, we have this idea. Do you want us to make this game using your characters? And all those publishers said no. Mm-hmm. Functionally, They went to DC and Marvel, and I think one... Other publisher, like an indie, one yeah. indie publisher. I can't remember the name of them.
0: Probably Image or something. Yeah, something. Was, yeah. that's the only
3: the big three. I think it was probably Image, but they shopped it around and nobody bit, right? Because they mm-hmm. were uh, at that point, Greater Than Games was a very small company, right? Very and new. also,
0: who does superhero board games?
3: <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. In some ways, they are responsible for a bunch of board games that exist, like mm-hmm. directly responsible, like the mm-hmm. the Marvel game. They Legendary. are directly yeah. responsible yeah. for that. Right? Yeah, that would not exist without them.
2: This is one of the rare times I I want to plug another podcast, but if you are interested in Sentinels of the Multiverse, there's an excellent podcast called The Letters Page where the creators basically talk about their design philosophy and their game, and they've put a ton of work into just the storytelling of their universe that they've created that is present in the game, but not directly written. And it's fascinating because it's based on a universe where the comics exist, but the comics don't exist. Like, it's super meta. It's great.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, every bit of flavor text on every card actually has a reason that they have thought through. They even have, like, the issue numbers of where certain things have, like, it's insanely So detailed. you you can put together the actual story oh, 100%. of what happened. Like, so. the, the whole podcast is about that, and you're like, this is a really well-developed story that's better than a lot of comic books I've read. So I,
3: I've listened to the letters page quite a lot, and it's interesting, because, like, they eventually created a giant spreadsheet, which was the actual timeline. Mm-hmm. The new re-release has a bunch of new art. I would argue... Ninety percent of the reason they actually wanted to do the re-release, like for themselves, was because there was a bunch of issue numbers that were wrong, and they really, really they <laughs> wanted they wanted to the fix continuity errors. Yes. Okay, they're like, oh, we I, got so many continuity this. errors. i have been favor we need of need to this. re-release. It's awful because you know they'd have oh, this happened in episode sixty seven, and then I mean, oh episode wait, seventy two. Looking at the timeline, that doesn't make any sense. Oh god, why? I am a huge fan as well. I also own a giant box of this. And have also kickstarted some of the re release mostly just because I like supporting Greater Than Games as a company.
4: I honestly prefer playing this over Marvel Legendary, like, and the DC Whoa. tech-building Games and uh, Nothing Burger. So, yeah, like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Also, in recent history, they've come out with a role-playing game, which was really interesting. I don't, have we actually gotten that? We haven't played through it yet.
3: I have it. I haven't okay. played. I haven't. I mean, played through it is a weird way to a weird thing to say about a role-playing game. Well, like
2: they released a. Preview adventure with some character creation stuff that we yeah. did play and through. J-
3: and Jason, and I played it at a uh, Pax one mm-hmm. time. Like we sat down and did a table of it. With I bunker. Prime,
2: so. it was Bunker. Yeah, great. it was really fun. But I they was also
3: legacy unsurprising, <laughs> of course, of course.
2: <laughs> they also teamed up with Green Ronin Games to incorporate Green Ronin has a superhero universe called Earth Prime. So they did a Sentinels of Earth Prime, and for some reason, did not update it to the second edition, which came out. At the same time, it was very weird.
3: So the timeline was the Kickstarter for the Green Ronin Sentinels happened. Yeah. Then the Kickstarter for the new re-release of Sentinels happened. Then the first re-release of Sentinels delivered. Then the Green Ronin thing delivered. So the timeline was just really weird there.
2: Yeah. But I like the sentinels of earth prime because it is fully compatible with the existing sentinels first edition material which i enjoy it's a crossover yeah exactly
0: now speaking of crossovers i have to wonder it may not be available on board game geek but it seems likely that there may be some fan-made content that has like marvel and dc
2: characters in this format there is actually a ton of fan-made content and call out to the cauldron which has a community created really high quality expansion that i'm 90 percent sure greater than games has just said yeah we recognize this as a really cool thing that our fans have made go get it
3: greater than games took an let's call it an unusual stance for a board game publisher and the Cauldron was like, hey, we want to make this available for print and play to sell it for profit, can we? And Crazy Games said, sure, good, go for it. Yeah. Right? Like it's not rare. it's not it's not officially licensed, but you can you can make and you know, print content that uses our rules, that works in our game system, right? Which is an unusual stance for a publisher Yeah, I thing. think
0: that's very cool of them. Yeah.
2: And they've because of that letters page podcast, they have Always been super
0: community focused.
2: Yeah, community focused. They love their fans, and it shows in their board game. How weird! A game
0: company that likes the people that give oh. them money.
2: God, it's so weird. It is. Yeah, they're, they're doing not it wrong. Game
1: Workshop. That's <coughs> for damn sure. <laughs>
3: yep. So the Cauldron, right? You can find on their website. You use Google for the Cauldron. You can also find it on drive-through cards. That's where the print-and-play
4: oh, is okay. sold. Mm-hmm. So you can just buy it mm-hmm. on the of drive-through cards. Oh, it's also worth noting they've got a really good app version, digital version of the game. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Are they updating that to the second edition? Do you know?
2: I don't know if they're updating it to the second edition, but they've updated it all the way through the Oblivion expansion. So it's got everything that the physical card game
4: has. Yeah, I've heard people are just like, after the digital implementation had Oblivion, they're like, I don't want to do that physically anymore. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's a lot of cards. The Oblivion one was pretty much jumping the shark, uh, where it's just like, (laughs) this is just on the other side of
4: too much content. <laughs> and they fully acknowledge it, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. They're
3: like, we wanted it to be a
4: lot. I mean, you it know? was intended to be like a universe ending, like, yeah. 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 It's, it's your big comic event. Yeah. yeah, we played it at, I guess, Gen Con, and they're like, okay, in this demo, you're just gonna play the first of three phases of this fight. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, okay, right, attack him. He has a, t- a shield with 10,000 hit points. I'm like, I do two damage. <laughs> <laughs> this may take a while. <laughs> Yeah, that was a a little eye-opening, like, uh, okay, you can get around it, but it it was just funny. It's like, that's a statement? (laughs) So, Sentinels a Multiverse, greater than games. Yeah, moving from a game we almost never talk about to a game we never talk about. (laughs) Kingdom Death Monster, released in 2015. What game is that? I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I heard there's dick monsters in it, but mm-hmm. that's a rumor. 2015, designed by Adam Poots, released by a publisher named Kingdom Death. We have talked about this game at length. <laughs> it is one of our favorite games. I'm staring at all of Joe's beautiful miniatures. I still haven't assembled my freaking dragon tyrant. I now I realize. But the idea here is it's a cooperative game. And it's a quintessential boss battler. <laughs> the entire point of the game is you're building up your characters, you're building up your civilization to go on a hunt to fight a horrific monster.
0: And they're really horrific, guys. Yeah. Uh, one of the early ones you fight is like an antelope whose rib the cage is antelope. like, yes, exactly, is wide open and like a gnashing mouth. They're really horror. If, if you're not interested in body horror, stay away from this Yeah. yeah. Or dick monsters. Or dick monsters. Uh. Yeah, It is definitely not a child-friendly game.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is very much on the side of juvenile a mm-hmm. by yeah. intention. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, that is like part of its design aesthetic mm-hmm. is at juvenile level. I
2: don't know if I agree with that, because it is body horror and sex in a way that I would say is not juvenile at all.
4: And downright Cronenbergian. Yeah. 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 But, but then there's these moments. I don't know if you guys read the most recent update emails for the 1.5 version that's never coming out. The frog dog. Oh the yeah, frog dogs. Most of its attacks are farting on you. So okay. there's there's a juvenile there's level. There's so, some here. in there. <laughs> well, let's be
3: clear. There is both juvenile and Cronenbergian, and it runs the gamut. It's 100% not (laughs) child-friendly. No, no, not at
1: all. Okay, wait a minute. Let's talk about the Bonacon. It's a traditional medieval bestiary kind of legendary monster Mm -hmm. who basically was a somewhat shy kind of cattle thing whose worst attack was, in fact, a giant flaming fart that would just cover you and set you on fire. That has a long history of of,
0: of, (laughs) farting monsters is totally I mean, mean, honestly, the oldest joke known to mankind, the oldest written joke is a fart joke. Oh, my God. Of course. Um, (laughs) When I saw Kingdom Monster, when I first approached it, it was like, okay, these are amazing sculpts of some really grotesque and horrific things. But, I mean, surely the game behind this is not going to be that good. And the game's really good. It's punishingly hard. Your characters will drop like flies.
4: And they're intended to.
0: Yeah, exactly. You have a whole community versus people, and some of them might live.
1: The real charm of this one is how elaborate those AI decks are for the monsters. They're huge. Mm -hmm. And depending on which version you fight, you can fight level two and three Mm -hmm. and possibly legendary versions of these, including more cards in those decks, and they will surprise you. Especially because you want to walk into it blind and go, oh wait, it can do that.
2: (laughs) I'm dead. I'm going to go back and put a small asterisk onto the statement that the game behind this is good. Because this game is made by, very clearly, people who do not make board games. As there are a ton of really small minutiae that just... You got to sit there and be like, there has got to have been a better way to do this. And I think they, as a company, are slowly realizing that as they eventually come out with more content. This game is really fun and has some interesting ideas. I don't know if it could be definitively called a good game.
3: I think it 100% can be. I uh, 100% disagree with you.
2: Okay. Why?
3: Because it is a good game. I mean, just because a game has minutia doesn't make it a bad game. The game has a ton of minutiae. Frankly, the game revels in its minutiae. Right? It the game drapes itself in minutiae like a multicolored cloak. Okay, so- and that doesn't make it a bad game. That just makes it a game with minutiae.
2: I'm gonna go back and cite that one thing I noticed on my most recent playthrough of it is that the early game consists of fighting the white lion. Oh yeah. Over yeah. and over and over. <laughs> About a dozen times. Yeah, you're not no. Which is... Uh, if I you mean, do that, you've screwed up. No, we got to a point in one of our campaigns where we only fought this one creature. You and yeah, that's armed all we that ever it. fought. But
3: that was a decision that we made, right? Like, that is a decision that a player can make.
2: And right? it's a but, bad one. But yeah. But
3: that's not required, right? The game doesn't force you to do that, right? Like, sure. What happened there is we got access to the Shadow Lion, and the Shadow Lion is literally broken and the rewards he gives is literally broken so we just took advantage of it. But
2: the fact that there's a broken monster and not just one doesn't that kind of lean towards this game is it has problems I guess is what I'm trying to say.
4: Yeah, and I think that the first edition that you're talking about like that the original release, yeah, 100% you fight the white line a ton. They have addressed that with later releases of expansions. Damn. Like the Gorm is supposed to be that first level monster. I mm-hmm. argue it's a little harder than the White Lion to a point where you probably don't want to fight that until a fair bit later. They do have in the newer stuff, assuming it ever comes out, there are more monsters that should replace that White Lion. Because yes, you're right. If you fight the White Lion and the Screaming Antelope a hell of a lot. And then it's like, do we want to take on a phoenix? You fight it once. You're like, oh, that's a bad idea. We're not doing that ever
3: again. And the 1.5 release has some rules for fast forwarding yes! like lantern yes! Year, like five or six mm-hmm. so that you don't have to live in the, hey, let's fight the white line a couple times. And you're not wrong that like when the game starts, You're going to fight the white lion a couple of times. That's just the way it has to work because you don't have the resources necessary to fight anything else. I get it. But on the first couple lantern years.
2: Isn't that inherently a problem in the board game that, that detracts from it being like, again, don't get me wrong. The game is enjoyable. The game is fun. The game definitely has some structural problems that do make me hesitate
4: on calling it good. I'd say the difference there is the mechanics are great. Yes. The campaign for that part is flawed. I think that's Mm -hmm. the problem. Because you're right, the mechanics are great. Playing through the bosses and learning new bosses and upgrading your gear and upgrading your characters, that all works really, really well. Yeah. That first part where you're like, we're so weak, we can only have this one option to fight. Yeah. But it's like any RPG, you're like, I'm going to go kill slimes in a forest for 10 hours. (laughs) But again, what part of RPGs do most people Uh, hate? 100% agree. And, like, once you get the... Is it a Shadow Lion? I thought it was the Weeping Lion. The Isn't weeping it where line. Like, we get it the sad lion that we just beat up on for <laughs> multiple campaigns? Yes. Wow. Um, or the flower night that we just... Oh, that was,
3: that was hilarious.
4: <laughs> anyway, for people who have not listened to any of our previous episodes and maybe are not familiar with the game... At its core, you essentially, you have a settlement phase where you develop your civilization, you learn new skills, you upgrade your characters, you sometimes retire characters whose genitals have been crushed, and then you go out on a fight. There are thing. other reasons, by the way, but <laughs> genital crushing is one of the most memorable. Yes. And the,
2: the game really shines in that settlement phase. Yeah. Like, I love that
4: kind of mm-hmm. civ builder. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a lot of interesting decisions there, and like, I'd say in most situations, there's not a... You definitely need to do this, then definitely need to do this. There's some stuff like, hey, you build the first four locations because mm-hmm. you have to. After that, go crazy, man. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And then after the civilization phase, you have an event in the civilization phase that usually screws you over. Then you go on hunt phase where you decide what you're going to fight, and then you wander through the darkness and roll on a random uh, encounter table and see what horrible stuff happens Half your you. hunting party may be dead by the time <laughs> they get to the fight. Yep. You just pray you don't hit cancer pigeons. Yep. <laughs> and, oh, <yeah. laughs> and then you have your fight, your, your showdown with your monster. And the way it works is there's a monster has an AI deck and a hit location deck. And the monster usually starts in the middle of the board. You set up your survivors wherever it tells you to set up. And as you take turns, you're going to flip things from the AI deck and it'll tell you what the monster does, who it targets, how it moves, how far it moves, what kind of damage it does. And as you hit the monster, you hopefully manage to roll well enough to hit it and then do enough damage to wound it. The cool thing is, as you wound it, you take cards out of the AI deck. So the weaker the monster becomes, the less options it has for attacking you and doing damage. That can also bite you where the only card left in their deck is the worst attack they have. But hopefully by then you can focus them down and kill them. Once you've defeated them, you earn resources. They explode into a resource
3: pinata. (laughs) And sometimes
4: those resources are testicles. I mean, that's just something that happens. And then you drag these things back to your civilization and craft things out of them, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But why this is such a good boss battler is that AI deck and that hit location deck. Each boss, each monster is completely different. And the cool thing is, if you go into it blind, which is, I recommend that's kind of the way I would say you should play it. So stop listening right now. No, I'm not going to tell you any things they do, but like, you'll go in and you watch what they do as they just mow down your poor survivors. And you're Mm like, oh, now I get it. This guy wants me to stand here. That's why he's doing this thing. I need to stand here or else this horrible thing is going to happen to me. Right. Yeah. The first time you fight a phoenix is
0: terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the one thing that I don't know if I can recommend this game as a purchase. Just because, let's be clear, it's an enormous investment to get all the things. And I don't know, and I've only played through like a campaign of it Mm -hmm. once. I don't know how good the replayability is for me, because once you kind of learn what all the things
4: are, I don't know if that same rush is going to be there, then it becomes kind of more of an optimization thing. I was surprised the other campaigns, so the Sunstalker and the Dragon Tyrant, play mm-hmm. extremely differently. Okay. Like, granted, you still fight a lot of the same monsters and the Nemesis <coughs> monsters, but there's an interesting plot there. Like, I was shocked at where the Dragon Tyrant went. Like that I was like, oh, all right, we're doing this now. <laughs> Okay. Much in the same way that I would argue till I'm blue in the face with Mike about whether
3: it's a good game and I think it is actively a good game. I think all the pieces of it meld together to make a good game, if not a great game. But I do think the question of, is it worth the purchase for a person (laughs) does become a little bit more, let's call it nuanced, because it is extremely expensive and you need to have the right group of friends for it, right? This is not a purchase that like. A solo board gamer or mm-hmm. maybe even a couple would really be able to really fully enjoy yeah you really need a group of you know four or five friends to really be able to like suck the marrow out of this game and it is a massive time investment Yep,
1: there are lifestyle games that tend to be more than just something you get in a box set up with friends i mean the whole warhammer 40k all mm-hmm. those miniatures games mm-hmm. This is more like one of those kind of lifestyle games where you play it a lot, Mm -hmm. and it is actually unfathomably deep in terms of just how many campaigns, if they ever release the final (laughs) thousand dollars worth of stuff you're going to get with the second wave. Yeah, it's going to be just a sprawling behemoth. So
3: I think for me personally, right, like if I compare the amount I paid for it for the amount of value I've gotten out of it, I've definitely gotten value out of it. Probably better value than I think a lot of the Mm -hmm. games in my collection because I've spent...
0: Yeah, dollars per hour. Dollars per 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 hour, very,
3: very high. But if you get it and it doesn't click or if you get it and you can't get your friends together regularly... It's going to be hard. And it's hard to justify the purchase because Mm -hmm. it it is a big investment. And it's not just a big investment in dollars. You get this game and...
0: You're going to need several shelves. You're going to need
3: several (laughs) shelves. No, no, but it's more than that, right? You're going to get this game and this game comes in sprues. Yep. To play this game before you even meet with all your friends. You're going to have to sit down and construct a bunch of figures so that you can even start playing at least four or five to start, right? Mm -hmm. So like for someone who doesn't do miniatures games, there is both a cost investment, but also like a time investment even before you start playing Uh that some people may not be prepared for. But I think if you can get over that hump, the game is excellent, in my opinion.
2: Did have a really cool idea when the Kickstarter first happened where they're going to have like hey, here's all of the different armor and weapons that your characters could wield in sprues so that you can update your miniature as you get those armor pieces. And then you get those sprues and you're like, I don't have time to assemble all this. Hey, <laughs>
0: nobody got that kind of time. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, people do. And they have, and they look amazing. I'm sure. But just for the layman, it's like, you're going to assemble those first naked survivors and <laughs> then
1: yep, you're good. That's who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Kingdom Death kind of began the whole modern boss battler yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. When we started talking about this, it was gonna be we were gonna talk about games that aren't out yet that we haven't played. <laughs> and there are easily a dozen more games on the way. Mm-hmm. One of which does include little like customizable yeah, miniatures. Customizable miniatures that are pretty But they pop fitting. on and
0: pop off. You don't have to glue the stuff. And on. they're pretty yeah. simple. <sighs>
2: Yes, so, yeah. there are a plethora of games on this list that could be described as, it's like Kingdom Death, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like Kingdom 100%. Death, but sane. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, and it's worth noting, even beyond the gameplay mechanics, much like a Dark Souls style game, there's just enough hints of a narrative and threads that like, if you want to go deep, there's definitely a thought out mythos in this game. It's not an easy one to discover, and I can't say it makes entirely all that much sense, but there's definitely things where like you'll be wandering around and you find a thing. You're like, oh, wait, this connects to this other thing I played in another session. You're like, oh, my God, this is actually thought out and planned. What? <laughs> and then you run into something like a dick monster. You're like, okay, whatever.
2: <laughs> uh, they do a really good job of world building in it. Mm-hmm. One of they my do. favorite ones, and this is going to be a small, I don't want to call it a spoiler because I'm not going to spoil what actually happens mechanically. But the world that they're in is the ground is made of stone faces. <laughs> yes. And as you're traveling, you suddenly find the ground is made of stone feet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a
4: story there. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I thought you were going to go with the, do uh, you find the origin of those stone faces? It doesn't make any sense, but you find who's making them.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's that another, another 20 minutes Death. of
3: Kingdom Death Yeah. Monster. Kingdom Death <laughs> Monster by Kingdom Death Games.
2: Oh, hey, that's me. It is. Uh, So let's talk about another game that we've gone on about ad nauseum. It's almost like we pick these episodes because they include games we like talking about. You're giving it
4: away, Brian.
2: I mean, this one is Aeon's End, 2016 game made by Kevin Riley and produced by Action Phase Games. And I mean, what can we say about Aeon's End that we haven't already said? It takes the deck building... Structure of Dominion and gives you a boss to fight. This is much like with Sentinels, all of the bosses have a deck of cards that play out incredibly differently. I think one of the things that I really like about the bosses in Aeon Zen, though, is that their decks are tiered. Mm -hmm. So you've got your level three cards under your level two cards under your level one cards. So there is a progression to their abilities that gives them a sense of things are getting dire mm-hmm. sentinels didn't have anything like that so you just drew a card and it's like oh cool this one we don't have to worry about because it's just he punches a dude for two damage right aeon's end is i think a lot more thoughtful about how the progression of their bad guys play out
1: since yeah some of those cards can be you lose yep mm-hmm. <laughs> that's <Absolutely. laughs> yeah, true
2: yeah and that's especially interesting considering that one way to win the game is to get through the enemy's deck But there are several whose you get to their tier three cards and it's just like, take the discard pile, shuffle it up and put it back. You cannot get through this enemy. That is not how you're going to win. Right.
3: I mean, I like it because the game does a lot of fun swerves in terms of like boss design. Like one of the Mm -hmm. places it really shines is how different each of the creatures that you're fighting feel. Not only like, hey, you have this specific set of spells and gems and artifacts, but also how each of the boss designs feel in light of all of those things, I think is very clever. They do a bunch of clever things, right? There's a bunch of crazy monster designs that make some of the normal paths to victory not an option because of the
0: way they're... Yeah, like there was the one in the legacy game that starts messing with your market, your card thing. It's like, well, you can't get that now, but...
4: I need that. (laughs) (laughs) What was that one, Mike, where it was like, it had like one health, but like it was impossible to do damage to it because it had so many automatic shields or something, Mm -hmm. where it's like just completely changes it on his head because like you literally do not enough damage in your deck to do any damage to it for the majority of the game.
2: Yeah, it was a setup of like, you have to, instead of dealing it packets of like one or two damage, you need to do it like a packet of 10 just to get through its shield. Right. But when you do that, you win. (laughs) And that is incredibly difficult to do until the late game. Mm -hmm. It's funny because much like Sentinels, this game also had a very interesting release where the early editions that came out had very amateurish formatting and art style that they went back and later changed. But even within Joe's collection and my collection, like, you can definitely tell which of the cards came out early and which came out late. And there's a drastic difference in their design as they basically learned how to put out their game.
3: Yeah, like, what you might encounter, and I certainly have in both of our collections, right? Like, I've ordered expansions to the game, and I've gotten the previous version. It's fine. Because the biggest difference is art. But the art is, they have a very specific layout in the modern release, the most recent release of the game. And you can tell the old release just looks real different from an art design. They didn't have a strong concept yet. They just look very different, right? And so it's it's very clear. It's like, oh, cool. I got one of the older versions of this expansion. It doesn't matter. None of the rules have changed. But the monster art and like the card art for the spells and everything is just different. I think the best way to describe it, frankly, is like they started off not really being sure what their format and about a quarter of the way through they kind of settled on a unified format for every card. Mm-hmm. So now their current cards look like magic cards and that they have a set format. Right. But you can still get their old cards. Uh-huh. They're still compatible and they're not in that format. It's very obvious. I remember the first time I got one of those expansions, I was like, what is even going on right now? It was fine, right? But it's it's also interesting.
0: Yeah. We've mentioned before, the Legacy version is a great introduction to the game and the universe and one of the better produced Legacy as part of a larger series. I think if you're interested in starting, that's a great place to start.
2: Yeah, it does definitely ease you into it really, really well. Mm -hmm. And as always, Action Phase, much like Indie Card and Board. Is just one of those Kickstarters where I'm like, I'm gonna buy this thing no matter what's in it, and they're gonna ship it to me, and it's gonna be great. Like I've had nothing but excellent Kickstarter experiences with Action Phase games, which is quite a statement. Yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> it really exactly, is. exactly. But they also do a thing where for a minute their Kickstarters were just here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it will come with all the stuff it's not like here's the one with the stretch goals here's the one without the stretch goals here's the manufacturers buy the thing (laughs) nope it's just give us money for the thing
3: yeah they're on a small list it's like indie board and card action greater than games it's just a handful of ones where it's like these are really rock solid i totally trust them from a kickstarter's perspective like i'm not like going out of the limb here
0: We'll expect our check. <laughs> Not
4: sponsored. So, Mike, I'm curious between Arkham Horror Living Card Game. Oh dear! Your Pathfinder games. We don't have, have then. No, no, no. am <laughs> going. No, keep going, with this. Keep going. I'm a- Millennium Blades. Which one has the most cards? Oh, and, and Sentinels of the Multiverse. Which of your games has the most cards, and how much would you estimate those cards are? Magic: The Gathering. Well, you have that many cards of yes, Magic the Gathering? Yes, I did.
2: Now, at this point, it's probably Arkham, only because they've got, I think, more expansions, because that's just their release sure. model. You sure it's not Sentinels? Sentinels has a lot I of I feel of like cards. Sentinels is up there. Uh, it might be. I don't know, Jason. <laughs> Much like looking at your playtime, that's
4: just something you don't do. <laughs>
0: We'll we'll do a survey and we'll let you know the results.
4: No, what we do is we weigh them. That's all we have to do. Oh. Just weigh them.
0: <laughs> That'll give us a
4: pretty good indication.
3: <laughs> so you should have asked Mike which one he loved more. Oh, that's only a, that's uh, an no, obvious no, answer. no! The rest,
2: the rest one of your children being being do you love the <laughs> The rest are being thrown in the fire. <laughs> Choose, <laughs> Go for the love of God, Joe, take us out of this. <laughs> Sophie's
3: choice, the board game. So that was Aeon's End by Action Phase Games. So the next game we have on our list has a section that is a boss battler and then also has sections that aren't a boss battler, right? So we, we had some discussions on whether this should be included or not, and we kind of landed on it should it be because the boss is so different. And that's Mechs versus Minions, released in 2016, designed by... Chris Catrell, Rick Ernest, Stone Libernade, I am in love with that guy's <laughs> name, that's amazing, Prashant Sawat and Nathan Tiris, published by Riot Games. I assume all of those people are just League of Legends people. That functionally. would be, I guess, yeah. And in Mechs vs. Vinions, you are all piloting mechs around, and the game is functionally a program movement game, and you have a tableau of cards in front of you that you can affect, and every turn you will go left to right through that tableau, whether you
4: want to or not. <laughs> Especially if you don't want to. <laughs> no, the round starts with a panicked everyone grabbing which cards from a draft, a common draft pool. You're like, oh crap, I need to go right, I need to go right, but he needs to go right, and wait, I need to go right first. Ah, oh, God, what are we going to do?
3: Max in total is just extremely smartly designed, right? It starts with a timed, very short draft phase, as you all need to decide what card you're going to take. Then once you, everyone has selected their card from the draft, you have to slot the card somewhere on your tableau, and that's where that card is... Forever. Now forever, <laughs> until something bad happens and explodes that part of your mech. And then you might move forward twice, attack directly in front of you twice, and then turn to your right. Hope that was what you wanted to do. <laughs> good luck. Yeah,
0: it's fun because there's a certain amount of strategy in trying to put something together, but there's also a large quantity of chaos going on. We've talked before about how, in terms of bang for the buck, this game is insanely well produced and everything about it is just gorgeous. And it's also a
2: really good game. The boss is super interesting, though, because when you get to him, up until this point, you've been fighting minions that just, they move and then they attack. And you hit That's them once and they all go they away. The boss has a tableau of his own, and you are adding cards to it every so often because he is upgrading his own tableau, and he is going to go through his things left to right, whether he wants to or not. Except because he's a boss, his cards are like, the left half of the board and everything on it takes some damage. <laughs> and then you look which way he's facing and everything to the left of him just takes it in the face.
3: Yeah, it's like every boss turn, you draw two cards, and as a group, you get to select which one you want to inflict upon yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to be careful. The game has this kind of like four-color system in essence, and the boss has all four of the colors, and when you select a card, it is one of the four colors. But if you get too many cards of a color, I think it's three cards of any specific color. The next time that color activates, he just murders you and you lose, right? So there's this balance balance between, hey, the green thing of like pull us one towards him is way better than the red thing of move five spaces and murder someone. (laughs) But we can't play any more green ones. We're going to (laughs) die. The boss has a bunch of shields Mm -hmm. and you have to walk over a specific spot on the board to deactivate his shield. And then once you've deactivated his shield, you can then use that color of weapon on him one time and then you have to deactivate the shield there again and so the boss is surprising and feels very different and is very challenging you know obviously the scenarios have kind of an increasing level of challenge but the boss has a very specific jump and the way you meet the threat of the boss in the game versus the minions is very very different mm-hmm.
1: yeah it becomes a massive puzzle game at that yeah. point mm-hmm. and trying to coordinate pre-programmed movement <laughs> with a group in the 10 seconds you're drafting cards with is very just,
0: limited control over yeah, what you've already done is yeah.
1: actually brilliant plus the fact that this boss comes in a box <laughs> you can see his axe not much of a spoiler because yeah. you can see his axe just through the box just taunting you yeah, what it does this look like
0: you don't know what's in there but you know it's going to be a big deal
1: <laughs> and yeah it's a giant freaking pre-painted miniature that's mm-hmm.
4: just jaw-dropping and gorgeous. It's one of those games that just shouldn't work because you're like, these are too many things to expect someone to do, especially on a timed basis. But it works. It's oh, really totally shocking. It really does.
0: From everything I've seen, the people at Riot, in their efforts to take League of Legends and make it a multimedia extravaganza, are doing it really well. Like, their animated series, I thought was quite good.
4: Arcane? Isn't Arcane. Right. Arcane.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah, so it's funny. So I talked with friend of the show, Jesse, who is a fan of League of Legends. And he plays it. He's like, yeah, you know, the League of Legends, it's everything except for the game is the good part. <laughs> right? Because, like, Riot Games has been doing an amazing job of kind of, like, expanding their brand into other things. And, like, the problem is, is, like, it's all based on their MOBA. And to be fair, their MOBA is where they get the opportunity to do this because it's the one that makes all the money. Right. But it's all the other stuff that's not that. That's the interesting stuff.
4: Yeah, I call that the Warhammer 40k syndrome because (laughs) I like everything about 40k except (laughs) the actual game. Yeah, it's weird. It feels with this game specifically since it has so many minis that are pre-painted, that are gorgeous, with an amazing insert that, that organizes everything perfectly. It feels like the game is subsidized. Like, Mm -hmm. it feels like there's Mm -hmm. no possible way they're making any money off of it. Yeah, Yeah, it feels like
3: they're not making any money and they don't care because it's really a marketing (laughs) activity for League of Legends.
0: And I support this. Yeah, Yeah, it is the best game value around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So yeah, that was Mixed Versus Minions. Now we have a game that I would expect Jason to be talking about. Nope,
4: didn't even know this existed, so. I know, really- <laughs>
1: it's really sad because this is Attack on Titan the Last Stand 2017 by Antoine Bauza of Ghost Stories fame and Ludovic Malblanc by Don't Panic Games. And it's a surprisingly cheap game. It's basically 25-30 bucks if that. And it's based on the Attack on Titan anime. So you're looking at an anime with giant skinless zombies, like 30 40 foot tall zombies and
4: naked don't forget the naked part. oh right. Totally naked. <laughs> well <laughs> skinless i think implies yeah, yeah they could be wearing clothes over their skinless bodies <laughs> like a nice sweater <laughs> oh, yeah, Good point. cardigan <laughs> cardigan yes
1: <laughs> wow okay yeah, so, um and they're being fought by people in jetpacks with kind of little rocket swingy kind of grappling hooks they got ziplines And big old cannons mounted on walls and trying to take them down in in various ways. And the board game totally leans into this with a gorgeous looking table presence. You get a giant 3D stand up titan in (laughs) cardstock, a castle with plastic cannons that go on the wall. There are actually little stands for our jetpack slingshot people to stand on on the Titan because they're trying to hit the Titan in various spots. One person plays a Titan, the other people fly around in jetpacks with the characters in the anime that all have a unique special power, which is gorgeous. The way the turn goes is each of the four Titans that you can play, same... Titan megature standy thing, but you get a set of different cards for each. They pick two, one goes face up, one goes face down and that will tell you what the Titan's going to do on its turn. That can be taking out cannons, swatting at someone on a certain body part, jumping and slamming people to the ground depending on where they are, etc. And what happens then is all of the uh, jetpack people roll their dice, can keep rolling, but any that show the dreaded titan symbol have to be given to the titan, who uses them to power some of their special moves. So you can keep rolling. So push your luck. So you've got some push your luck where you have Mm -hmm. to keep rolling and just not give too much to the titan. And then, finally, the Titan does their stuff, and then the people can attack. Titan turns up and does stuff, then the people can attack. And the attacks are basically, you can move, or you can kind of jump up and down from the castle levels, or jump to various spots on the Titan. Essentially, in order to beat the Titan... They have to kind of hit its you know weak spots and just nick it a lot to wear it down to so much. And then someone has to jump up to its neck mm-hmm. and do an elaborate attack pattern to stab it in the back of the neck. I mean, this is straight from the anime. Yep. This is exactly yeah. what happens.
0: I, I have to tell you, I'm fascinated by this now because as somebody who was always sort of like peripherally aware of anime but never really watched that much of it, I had seen the name Attack on Titan before, and I assumed that it was just the moon of Saturn that was being attacked. <laughs> And it was gonna be a spaceship thing. And now I realize that I have woefully misunderstood. <laughs> oh what's no, no, going no. On Attack
1: here. on Titan isn't I've seen yeah. a lot of it. It yeah, is yeah, amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> I and mean, watch it. It's by the guy that did Death Note and uh it's one of the best animes around. So
3: this is the this is the board of the game? Yeah, no, I've I've seen pictures of the Crap. game. That must be a custom thing. I can't imagine that
1: comes in the box. No, it doesn't that's yeah, in the comes box in the box. That it's in the comes? Box. Oh my it's a God. wide box, and yeah, the wow. big old stain. For twenty five bucks? Yeah, it's wow, cheap shocking. and and you know it is flat and mm-hmm. with
2: some clip-on sure, sure. kind of cardstock. But Frank, yeah, you do realize that the statement from the creator of Death Note literally <laughs> means nothing <laughs> to yeah, Brody. Wait, wait, what? what? I, Death Note. I've also
0: <laughs> heard of Death Note. <laughs>
1: oh, Death Note is like a giant philosophical quandary nightmare wrapped in oh, anime. Form. Oh, the Netflix show.
0: <laughs> be gone, Satan. We're sorry. There's going to be a murder here. Apparently, I'm just,
2: today, today I just Frank all day Again, the worst curse that you can think of nowadays is I hope Netflix adapts your favorite anime into a live action yeah. movie. May series.
3: Netflix
1: adapt your anime. <laughs> Cowboy Bebop it to death. Oh, That's what, man. yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Games are only about
1: like 30 minutes. So it's a really short. Punchy, clever. This one should be far better known.
4: I'm shocked. Like usually, you know, IP based games are just trash. Like just absolute trash. This actually sounds like the Antoine Bowser. I know. When I saw the designers, (laughs) like, oh, I actually these are real. That's an actual game now. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So yeah, that was Attack on Titan: The Last Stand. Yep. That should have been our good tie-in games episode.
1: Oh yeah, good point. I'm an idiot.
0: Well, folks, this episode had too much banter, too many asides too many digressions, and too much good conversation to hold to just one episode. So please tune in again next month for part two of our Boss Battlers episode, and thanks for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com please share like subscribe review and comment on this podcast and thank you for listening Welcome everybody to episode 44 of the ascent of board games the we have our outtakes <laughs> I'm gonna play that backwards in this case something really <laughs> profound. <Ooh.
4: Excellent. laughs>